Welcome to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra. And me, Father David Pelican. As we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of Men of the Hearts podcast. Last episode, we had Father David really get down and deep, not down and dirty, down and deep with what discernment is all about with the help of the giant and all things discernment, St. Ignatius. This episode, we're going back to our familiar structure by having on a special guest, and a special guest he is, as we have Bishop Battersby in the studio with us today. Welcome, Bishop Battersby. It's wonderful to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be with you today. All right. It's great to have you. And Father David, the trusted co-host, our resident smart person, always wonderful to have you here in the studio. How are you, my brother? Doing well. Doing well, Father Craig. It's good to be here with you and with Bishop today. Uh, really excited for this podcast. Amen to that. All right, Bishop Batters, before we get into your vocation story, has there been a blessing that uh, has been in your life in the past month or so? Well, as some some of you may know, we're uh, in the midst of uh, rolling out family of parishes, which is a, mm. is a way of preparing our archdiocese um, to go on mission. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the blessings that I had last night at a commissioning ceremony was I was with a group of people who were reticent about the whole notion of family of parishes. And after the commissioning ceremony, the excitement in the air was electric. And it was nothing short of mm. a miracle. Mm. Um, I got a text from from uh, one of the people there today and said that the priests, were unanimously excited. And wow. if you know priests, that's no small <laughs> miracle. <laughs> yeah, I think true, uh, we, can, we can gossip like the rest of them Absolutely. or complain like the rest of them, <laughs> if not better than anybody else. Yes. I, I can be the resident complainer here, as Father David knows as well, because we live together. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, Father wow. David, anything new for you since the last month? Well, you know... Uh, few things. I have been, I received a new appointment as the note taker for the Presbyteral Council. Oh, I did. I saw you so, on that. I'm on that yes, council I, as I, well. I took notes on your, your wonderful comments there, Father. Oh, Jordan, that's so. great. That's great. Well, they only ask really smart people to do that uh, job. So as of course, as you got all A's <laughs> in seminary, uh, of course, that's why you would, were asked to uh, do that wonderful job. How was it for you? Was it as enthralling as you thought it would be? You know, it was. Uh, it was very interesting. It was. A, it was a unique opportunity, I think, to see uh, the whole cast of characters that make up our presbyterate. So, yeah, it was. It was. It was nice. It was nice to see um, so many of the priests, even though we were just uh, virtual, uh, to see so many uh, faces that I hadn't seen in a while, and just see see their interaction, right, as as brothers. Yeah, it's always good. Uh, did you go to Costco this month or no? You know, I, since our last recording, I have not been what? to Costco. It's that's there's how n- you know it's been yeah, busy. There's no snacks in the house, <laughs> and that's all your we fault. We are. We're running low on granola bars, and so. we need beef jerky. Make sure you get beef jerky <laughs> next time. <laughs> all right, hey, it's it's hunting season. Beef jerky is uh, is appropriate, I think. Yeah, it's and that's sort of what's new for me. Actually, is uh, I'm going on vacation in a little bit. We're doing our annual hunting trip. The Guerra family, we have three generations that will all be in the same cottage. We rent a cottage, and 
Uh, we go hunting for deer. We use used to use bow and arrow. Everybody has switched to crossbow. I'm the last holdout, but my dad's not hunting this year, so he's going to let me use his crossbow. So I might uh, transition over to that. Um, my nephew actually got a, a deer a couple years ago, and he's the only one, I think, in the group within the last 20 years or so. That's how great of a wow. hunter we are. <laughs> so I, I know that's a controversial issue, you know, whether or not we should be hunters and stuff, uh, but they're very safe when the Guerra family is out in the forest because we, <laughs> we barely get uh, anything. Um, but it's always a mm. good time, and it's it's really a special time to be alone with God, actually, if you're in the tree stand or if you find a blind and you just pull out your rosary and you sit there and it's just so incredibly quiet and, and the Lord can talk to you in those moments. It's so beautiful. I love it, too, when it starts to snow and you're in the middle of the forest and how quiet it is. It's just like you can you could just almost feel like the world is turning. It's 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 so amazing to, to be still and to be in that moment. Um, you know, and, and I think St. Francis might have been a hunter as well. I mean, I know that's controversial <laughs> as well. I know he loved animals, but I think he loved eating animals too, you know. So mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know we just had, you know, we, the can, pe- we had we, the pet blessing. We, we did. We just had the pet blessing. What kind of animals Child. were there? There were all sorts of animals, mostly dogs and cats, as is usual. Uh, someone brought their parakeets, though. Oh, so I was a little cool. nervous with how they were going to interact with the cats, but they stayed in the cage and we didn't have any incidents. So, well, Bishop Battersby, you've been a pastor for a very long time. Like in any of those times, have you had anything besides cats and dogs for pet blessings? You know, one of my favorite things to bless are goldfish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not easy bringing goldfish to church. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) But I want you to know how creative some people can be to get their goldfish blessed. Mm. (laughs) And so... Um, I always thought it was just dogs and cats, but uh, it's it's a lot broader than that. Yeah. <laughs> and the people yeah. of God are not only faithful, but they're creative as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a lover of dogs because you used to have a dog. Yourself, I did, right? I did. I had uh, I had a Carrie Blue Terrier, mm. um, and she, as a matter of fact, she she uh, she. Um, Went home to the Lord on the Feast of St. Francis. Really? October 4th. Yes. Look at that. You know what I tell Father David my favorite animal blessing is? Oh, boy. I know what this is. Bless us, O Lord, in these (laughs) (laughs) days. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Oh, dear. Bishop Bishop Battersby, do you you hunt at all? Have you ever? uh, Do you know my father was not a hunter and it never, never became part of our family? I'm a, I'm a fisherman, but uh, I have the success that the Guerra family has in, <laughs> in fishing as well. So That's about right. That's about I, right. I go, I go on hunt for the elusive walleye, but the elusive walleye usually has to be purchased at a local restaurant. <laughs> now, Dave, Father David, Fair you're enough. not a hunter yourself, are you? I, I have never actually been hunting. Well, Interestingly you, enough, you have I have— raised animals, correct? I have raised animals, and I've helped, uh, because of kind of my background on the farm, I've helped to process—I've helped to process those animals. Oh, Okay. And that's why you, when you raise pigs, you never name them? <laughs> well, a slight correction there, Father Craig. Uh, we learned after the first batch of chickens that you shouldn't uh, get too attached to farm animals. Um, and so um, we always name our pigs, but usually the names are something like ham and bacon or Christmas and Easter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I was just at your house recently. I got to see the whole 
uh, Father David Farm, which the, was great. The Pelican Family Farm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you were promising me eggs from your chickens, but uh, a local fox. Wow. Um, we had a little incident. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> your dog uh, passed away, went on to the Lord, and is this not is right. protecting the chickens anymore. We had a, a, a yellow lab uh, uh, live for 13 years. So it was a dog dog I grew up with, recently passed, and uh, there's no one to keep the foxes out of the chicken coop anymore. So what we're not getting do? quite as many eggs as yeah, we uh, had hoped do? for. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into your vocation story, just one more uh, thought. Uh, Father David was really interested in your Episcopal motto, so if you want to bring that up, Father David. Yes, I was actually, interestingly enough, uh, I think we'll talk about this more later, but I was in seminary when then Father Battersby was uh, got the call, uh, the request to become a bishop, and uh, so I was. It was I had the kind of got to see him in that in both of those roles. See him transitioning, and uh, he has a beautiful motto uh, that he chose for his episcopacy. Bishop, do you want to share that motto with us? Yeah, the the uh, the motto comes from St. John's Gospel, mm-hmm. and uh, how I came across in particular the motto is I had the opportunity to study the writings of Blessed Columba Marmion, mm-hmm. and um, one of his his um, I don't know his his themes was in sinu patris which Mm. is that we live in the bosom of the Father, in the Father's embrace. Mm. And so I took that as my Episcopal motto, that it is is in the Father's embrace that we abide. Mm. And it's it's a motto for me of hope and and a recognition um, of the truth that God is love Mm. and that Mm. God is our Father and he embraces all of us. In all creation, yeah, that's really beautiful. Yes. For for my uh, priestly ordination, sometimes you give out these little cards, right? For priestly ordination, the uh, the image that I chose for mine was it's El Greco's depiction of the Trinity. Oh, right. And and uh, I chose it because it's similar theme to that uh, in the bosom of the Father. You see, uh, Jesus, he looks completely exhausted, um, and he's just like he's resting in the arms of his Father. It's like. Uh, it's a beautiful image for uh, for how to live our life, how to live our priesthood. Absolutely. So. Did you have a Bible quote in your? Because a lot of priestly cards put a Bible quote. What was yours? <laughs> you know, I did. I can't remember exactly no. what it is. Oh, it God. was from the letter to the Hebrews. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that we had the head um, spiritual director here at the seminary who was walking around the cafeteria one day and we were kind of talking about what we were going to put on our holy cards and he comes up to me and goes you know i got a great one for you i'm like well what is it he's like you should put on surely lord there'll be a stench (laughs) 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 he walked away (laughs) like it was so uncharacteristic of him it was hilarious but uh yeah mine is uh i I quoted psalm 31 because there was something very special that happened to me so i have psalm 31 Mm -hmm. rejoicing in the lord always uh, that the lord save sinners and that we can rejoice that, that we needed to be saved. Amen. All right. Well, Bishop Battersby, it would really be great to, however you want to tell your vocation story of, of what the Lord did with you when you first thought about the priesthood, how God called you, and all the wonderful things in between. You know, I, I grew up like a typical Catholic uh, young man. Um, 
not only admired but uh, but cherished the priesthood and our priests. Um, my uncle was a, a priest for the Archdiocese of Detroit, and uh, and he was one of the heroes of my life. Mm. And I really thought about it as any Catholic boy might think about it. Um, I was attracted to it. But then, of course, life comes in and and, uh, and you get diverted by various squirrels that come along your way. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the next thing you know, it's no longer uh, uh, front and center for you. Mm. Um, when I was 17, my uncle died and it had a big impression on me. Um, and I began to think about, you know, what I was going to do with my life. And, and although I admired my uncle very much, um, the idea of priesthood just wasn't attractive to me, mm-hmm. um, really, it, really at all. Um, but I thought about it because I thought so much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was about 19, I was studying in Ireland um, on a, uh, a junior year in Ireland and um, had the chance to study at the University College Cork. And over the Easter uh, season, I was able to travel to Scotland and sp- wow. spent the, the night in a hostel in, in Scotland. And I woke up the next morning for some reason at about five o'clock in the morning. And for a 19-year-old, that's a a stunningly (laughs) early early time of the day. Um, And I was very reflective about what, when I returned to the United States, I was going to pursue in in my life. And I'd always wanted to be a doctor. Um, And I just had a, a, a strong impression that that wasn't going to be my future. And as I was lying in bed, kind of musing on this, um, I had what I know now to be an illumination. Um, I had immediate knowledge that I was going to be a priest. Really? And it's not something I looked for. It was not Mm -hmm. something that I desired. Um, But it was a fact that I knew with certainty. How, I mean, how did it come to you? Was it in your mind? Was it in your heart? Oh, it was. It was. It was an illumination of my mind, huh. and hmm. I knew it as. I knew it as a fact, no longer as simply a possibility yeah. or anything like that. No doubt wow. whatsoever. No doubt whatsoever. It was just that was, the, and in it, it, it was stunning to me. Yeah, you don't hear that very often. And mm-hmm. it was not something that was welcome, hmm. um, oh. particularly to me, and. Really, for the next 14 years, I struggled with that. Um, mm. As I drew mm-hmm. closer to the Lord, it was very clear to me that the Lord wanted me to uh, to serve him as a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, it became increasingly clear that this wasn't just something, this illumination that happened in a youth hostel in Scotland was not simply um, a product of my imagination, but the Lord mm-hmm. over the years had complete, uh, repeatedly asked and, and called me closer. And as I drew closer, as I spent more time in prayer, as I s- spent more time um, praying particularly in the Mass mm-hmm. um, and, and getting to know him, uh, I, I, I began to fall more deeply in love with him. And, mm. uh, and, and following him became much more important to me. Um, I mm. pursued 
uh, I pursued other things, but this idea of being a priest kept returning. And, and as much as I tried, and I did so heroically, um, <laughs> to cast it away from my, from my heart, um, it kept returning. Hmm. And I realized, I, I really started to bargain with God. And I said, you know, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll give up my, my business and I will, I'll, I'll, I'll be a missionary, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it, I'll, I'll go wherever you want. And I had checked out the Jesuit uh, um, core um, mm-hmm. uh, missionary program. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. Uh, I even went so far as to register at the seminary, and, and I told the Lord I'd be willing to be a deacon. Wow. Um, but I had one caveat. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get married and, so, mm-hmm. and have a family, and so um, that's as far as I'd go. Mm. That's, 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 that's as much as I'd negotiate with the Lord on. Um, but the Lord is persistent, and <laughs> he keeps calling and one day before a class I was taking with Dr. Reardon, which really set me on fire as I began to, to understand theologically um, the mission of Christ and the call of God to each of our hearts, I could feel that call come alive in my heart. Hmm. And one day before class, I went into the chapel here at the seminary and um, and I have to say that that I was in anguish. I was in anguish because I knew two things. I knew that the Lord wanted me to be a priest. And the second thing is I knew that I did not want to be a priest. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it was that anguish that just so troubled me because I loved the Lord. Mm-hmm. I wanted to follow the Lord. But being a priest was not my way. It was not what I wanted. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so one day I was in the chapel and I was praying, and, uh, and I just told the Lord, I said, you know, I love you, Lord, but I can't be a priest. Hmm. And something amazing happened. The Lord said to me, literally, you don't have to. Hmm. Wow. I was shocked and delighted. First off, the Lord had never spoken to me before. Mm-hmm. So I, it wasn't something I was used to or had any... You audibly heard this. Audibly heard right. this. and oh. uh, But it wasn't the audible, what I was hearing. It was the change that occurred in me. Hmm. And um, I've never heard, first off, anything more beautiful than the Lord's voice. There's mm. nothing in my life that has ever even come close wow. to the the love that is in the Lord. Mm. Um, every word he speaks is full of grace, and that's not just a scripture passage, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, God is love, and his words are laden with such love that that none of us can fully grasp that what that actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened, the change in me that occurred, even though I heard in the Lord's voice a certain sorrow, 
a certain sorrow that I think, and I'm projecting on the Lord in this, but a certain sorrow that that I would question his love for me, that I would question his desire for me. But he wanted me to be free, and he mm. made me to be free, and he was willing to let me follow a desire that was not his own in order for me to be free. Hmm. And I knew and felt in that moment that I was completely free. Hmm. I was completely free to choose to not be a priest. Hmm. Or I was free to choose to be a priest. And I was... First off, elated and walked on air for the next week. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an experience that I've never had. It was. You get some amazing experiences. First, you get an illumination, <laughs> and now you hear the Lord speak. Well, some people are more rock headed than others, <laughs> <laughs> and some people need more of a knock on the on on their head than yeah. other people. So Same, you, you you ignored the illumination for fourteen years, right? I actually came to the seminary to check it out, and and um, and I was able to overcome any attraction and uh, mm-hmm. and run from the seminary. Mm. I I have to tell you, I would have rather had my friends know that I was a bank robber than going to the seminary to think about the priesthood. Wow. Mm. So it it tells you not only the environment I grew up in, but it, <laughs> it, it you know, but but it also tells you my own reticence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, um, so it was simply the Lord's love and His voice that melted any it, fear. Or... It was the Lord's love and His voice, and it was the fact that I was free, mm-hmm. that He made me to be free, not to be coerced, not to be. Um, shamed into doing something he that he wanted me to do. He made me free to choose him. Mm. And I felt that freedom. And the only thing I wanted to do from that moment on was to follow him, yeah. mm. was to be with him, was to allow myself to be caught up in his will for me. And that's... that. that I know that sounds like an anti-vocation story, but hmm. it's it's the one I have. It's yeah. it's uh, it's 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 the truth. It, it's the Lord's initiative to invite us, mm-hmm. and He wants us to be free. He wants us to be free to say yes to Him. He wants mm-hmm. us to be free to love Him, mm-hmm. and He wants us to allow Him to love us. Mm -hmm. You know, he has a plan for our lives. You know, St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians tells us that it's God's plan to reestablish all creation in Christ. And that means you and me. That means he wants and desires from all time to establish me in him. Amen. And that was what I wasn't free to do. I wasn't free to let him establish himself in me, to be 
my Lord and God, yeah. to be my Savior. I, I, you know, I wanted to run the show. Yeah. And it wasn't until that moment that that healing that came with the love-laden words of freedom, the healing that came to my heart, to let him be the Lord of my life, to let mm-hmm. him be the one I follow, and to allow his plan to unfold in my life. Because, frankly, I didn't have the vision and mm-hmm. still don't have the vision. Mm-hmm. Only he has that vision and I need to press into that vision with my heart, with my future, with my life. Mm-hmm. And that's true. That was true, I don't know, 25 years ago. It's true today. And it'll be true for the rest of my life. And it's mm-hmm. the invitation God has for all of us to allow each of us and all of us to be reestablished in his son Jesus, to mm-hmm. allow ourselves to share in the identity that Christ presents to us, his identity, and to share in his mission, to reconcile all creation to the Father, allowing ourselves to be the ones who are reconciled to the Father through him. Yeah, and inviting the Lord to do that. Exactly. You know, your story is not... I mean, I, I hate to tell you this. This is not all that unique, and in a sense that uh, I think when when guys do discover the love of God for their lives, they they have that freedom to say yes or no. And I remember mm-hmm. my classmate that, uh, you know, I, I thought this man was going to go on to the priesthood, and we were on the thirty day silent retreat. You don't really talk to people on a silent retreat. <laughs> There's one day that you do get to talk, and he had a large family, and um, you know he was on the phone all day long. He didn't come out with us on that free day. Um, and then afterwards, after the 30-day, we kind of share this, you know, what were the graces, what happened, and the happiness that was in his voice and the happiness that you could see on his face, and he had a smile on his face, and he looked at us and said, I don't have to be a priest for God to love me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he left the, he it. left the seminary, and, yeah. and but he, he thought that, if he didn't become a priest, that God would stop loving him. And I think sometimes there's this fear that drives people in the wrong direction as well. And when God mm-hmm. calls us, God doesn't call us in fear, but God calls us out of this love. And you just mm-hmm. know it when it's God because it is love. You know, yeah. And that's the difference between the father of lies and the father of love. You, you, you know the difference. When yep. <laughs> and and I think the source of my anguish was exactly what you're pointing out. It was that fear that God wouldn't love me if I didn't become a priest. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not God. No. That's not of God. Fear mm-hmm. is never of God. God is love, and that's not just a slogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for God so loved the world, John. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> it's not for exactly. sporting events. It's, it's for, not for, for living. <laughs> it's not just for sporting events. Yeah, yeah. So let just back up a little bit because I, I do find your story fascinating um, in that, you know, having this illumination that is so strong. And I had something similar, but it wasn't in an illumination where I was 100% sure that God was calling me to the priesthood. I mean, so how did you ignore the Lord for this this long? I know you said y- you wanted a, a wife 
you wanted all these things and you were making all these different bargains, but you, you went on with your life. You said you had a business in a sense. Were you dating at the time? Like what was going on? And absolutely. I was, were you uh, feeling fulfilled? Did you have enjoyment? Were you happy? What what was going on? It's, Mm -hmm. it's a great question because when I came home from Ireland that year, the first call I made was to the seminary and Hmm. I called the seminary, made an appointment with Father Don Archambault, who was the pre-formation director at the time here at the, here at the seminary. I made a point, an appointment with him and, and met with him on a number of occasions um, to explore the idea of becoming a priest. Now, the idea mm. completely unnerved me, but that, that was beside the point. Um, I felt like I had to answer what Mm-hmm. seemed very evident to me. And uh, one day he sent me to meet with a parish priest um, to get an idea of what the priesthood was like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I made an appointment with that priest. Strangely enough, it was at the 3 o'clock hour, which I look back now on now differently than I did at that time, mm-hmm. um, that hour of mercy. But... I uh, came to the, the rectory that day, and, and it was a sad moment. It was sad because the priest that I met with was was obviously very unhappy. Mm-hmm. He was not happy, and it became very clear to me that the priest also had a substance problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I left that meeting that day so relieved Mm. because I had no intention of living an unhappy life. And mm-hmm. I left, and so I say, I said to myself, well, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. And hmm. that, was the, that was the end of that. So I began to pursue uh, you know, my own ideas of what would make me happy, my, uh, uh, my own um, plans to be a doctor, to be to to uh, to have a family, and of course that included dating, and of course it included um, um, all the things that we think are going to make us happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as much as I love them all, they never answered that hunger in my heart, mm-hmm. and that hunger in my heart persisted. And um, and as much as I tried, and I did, and I I ended up having all the things that are supposed to make you happy. I had a beautiful house in Beverly Hills. I had, you know, nice cars, nice vacations. I had I had the things that are supposed to make you happy. And um, and they were all nice. Mm-hmm. But nice is doesn't make a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, nice makes a pleasant cookie, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we want love. We want we want um we want to be fulfilled in love, and that's mm-hmm. what we're made for. Yeah. And it's only that will answer that need in our heart. And um, and the Lord continued to love me even through all my wandering yeah. and mm-hmm. continued to invite. And he was just, I mean, when you're, in, when you're infinite, you have time to be patient. <laughs> and the Lord's very patient. Yes. And... And he was very patient with me. He was very patient with me, and he continued to call, but Mm. gently, not not coercively, Mm -hmm. continued to call. 
But he knew the one thing I needed, and I didn't know I needed, but he knew I, ne I wasn't free. Mm. I wasn't free to say no, and I wasn't free to say yes. And that's the big healing that happened for me that day. Mm -hmm. He set me free. And when he set you free and you behold the beauty of the Lord, well, nothing can keep you from following him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happened after that? So now you, you've, you heard God, you felt this, you were changed, you were free to make this choice now. You said you were happy for a week because you knew you didn't have to be a priest. Uh, but but something happened, and we know you are a priest. <laughs> so what happened? Did you talk to a priest? Did you have someone that you really looked up to? Did you talk to your family? Did you just keep it to yourself again until you applied to the seminary? Well, you know, it was um, probably May, um, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. It was the spring semester at the seminary. And um, and I was. I was walking on air for that next week. Um, mm. And the only thing I wanted was to be with him, mm. was to be with – I wanted to spend my life with that voice, with, with the one who had that voice. Um, and so I would say probably within six weeks – I applied to the seminary. Wow. So it was uh, uh, it, it was it was an arresting and wonderful experience, um, which is a great confirmation as well. I think sometimes, and I've certainly talked to young men who think just because you're willing and able to apply to the seminary that somehow you're going to be led into the seminary. I mean, right. you know, not mm -hmm. only are, are, are men discerning, of course, that's a very big thing. You have to make that choice, but the church is also discerning as well. Mm -hmm. And w what if you applied to the seminary and they said, well, thank you, but no, thank you. We, we don't think you have a vocation, but they did. And that's a great confirmation. Exactly. And I think we miss some of those things sometimes is that mm -hmm. these, these, what, seem like small things are actually really large things because not everybody gets accepted to the seminary. No, that's that's absolutely right. And it it really was, I realized that I was coming to the seminary um, to discern the priesthood. I realized oh. that, you know, uh, a remarkable experience wasn't enough to sustain a vocation. Mm -hmm. and, um, and what I learned in my time in the seminary is um, is is that I was growing in the yes that I had made when I applied to the seminary, mm. and that that was my experience in seminary. It was a it was it was a growth day by day and year by year a confirmation yeah. um, that was offered by the the formation team here at the seminary. And offered in my own heart um, um, that God had indeed called me, yeah. and uh, and the church had ratified that, and that mm -hmm. was key because, you know, most of the time the Lord doesn't speak to us audibly. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the time He speaks to us through His representatives, the yeah. formation team here at the seminary, mm -hmm. the vocation director who met with me. Um, and and so as you get keep get 
you keep getting these affirmations from those who are um, given by the church to make those evaluations, uh, mm-hmm. then you gain confidence that 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 you're not um, um, living an illusion. Yeah. yeah. So much of my discernment in the seminary, it took me five years, I think, in the seminary to know that I was called to move on. And I remember on my diaconate retreat, I was like, you know, God, there's nothing stopping this right now. I I don't have anything else in my life. I've been working for this with you, thinking that this is the way to go. Make something happen if you don't want me to be ordained. But at this particular moment in my life, I give everything now over to you. And if this mm-hmm. is it, this is it. And mm-hmm. it took me five years. But after that prayer and after that moment and that retreat, which is a, which was a wonderful retreat, um, I knew like this is this is my life now. Mm-hmm. And, and I let go of some of those things that I think sometimes we secretly hold on to, whether we're, we're in the seminary for a couple of years or we're just starting out or whatever, or, you're, or if you're thinking about applying, right? You're like, well, I'll apply to the seminary. But if you know that right, woman walks around and, and mm-hmm. you know, they ask me right. out or something like that, right. you know, then that's a sign <laughs> for me, you know, and True. we try to tell guys, you know, usually what will happen if you ask for an application, your old girlfriend will call you up <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> or something like that will happen. Um, yeah. You but know, I, I confused my desire with God's will mm. and um, it was the seminary helped me separate those two and begin to listen to God and, uh, and to be less um, enthralled with my own desires and mm-hmm. allow myself to be caught up in God's desire for me. Well, it, it's so true that um, you know, it's not like almost game over once you get to seminary, right? That a lot, a lot happens in seminary, both of discernment and just, like you said, coming to clarity about uh, how the Lord works, letting him work in your life. Um, yeah, I know for me, like just looking from the time I entered seminary to the time I exited, I wasn't ready to be a priest when I entered seminary. You know, a lot happens there. Um, confirmations of that call for many or, you know, for others, like you, like your friend, Father Craig, um, you know, those confirmations don't happen and, you know, praise God, they, they're able to discern that that is not where God's calling them. And that's, that's really a win, right? Too, if you, if you come to that clarity, so... It's a uh, it, it's a it's a beautiful time. It could be a difficult time in seminary. Uh, Bishop, did you? Uh, what was your experience of seminary like? Was it? You know, um, the first year of seminary for me was was the year of discovery of mm. whether I was called to be a a priest or not, whether I was operating under a kind of an illusion or not. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, I would say after that first year was very clear to me that I was where exactly where God wanted me to be and mm-hmm. so so seminary ended up being um, a joy because it was it was a continuing deepening of my relationship with the Lord mm-hmm. and um, and so my experience was very good I know I came back to the seminary years later as a formator and uh, we always said in formation that uh, that we had two success stories always at the seminary. And that is a young man who came and discerned well and became a priest. And that, mm-hmm. was, a, uh, that was a success story. 
And the other success story was the young man who came and discerned well and left and pursued another vocation, another call uh, in life. Mm. Another way to allow the Lord to express his love in, in, mm-hmm. in their heart. Yeah. And Amen. so um, th- those were the two, two successes. There were no failures except the failure to discern. Mm. You know, to listen to the Lord and and because uh, the Lord wants us free, and He made That's us right. for a purpose. That's right. You know, all of us to be part of His plan. Mm. Right. Yeah, and some guys, and and unfortunately, you know, I mean, it does happen because I've seen it happen. Is is a guy will think that maybe he's called to the priesthood, and never do anything with his life because he's always thinking in the back of his mind that he's called to the priesthood. And he never acts mm. upon it, so he never pursues another vocation. He doesn't. He kind of gets to the standstill, and then all of a sudden, you know, a man is fifty-five years old or something like that, and they're like, "Well, I never knew what to do with my life," and and that's a scary, scary place to be. God can still work in that, of course. I mean, I had a sixty-three-year-old seminary, and that was my first seminary, and to come to the seminary <laughs> last year. So, I mean, God can work in, in so many different ways, um, but. There has to be a moment in which you act on discernment. If all you do is think about it, you're never going to go nowhere. You're just going to keep on spinning your wheels, and one day you're going to wake up and be like, well, what happened? You know, so if if you feel called, do something about it. Come Mm. to a discernment group. Come to a discernment weekend. You know, go talk to your pastor. Give me a call. I'd love to talk to you about discernment. You know, this Mm -hmm. this is the time to do those types of things because, again, like you were saying, two things that the formators, you know, were happy about. If you discerned well and you became a priest, or if you discerned well and left and, and did, ha- you right. know, became a married man or, or generous single life or mm-hmm. religious life or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. we want what God wants for you. So um, yes. that's where you find, you know, your happiness. Now, Father David, we've been talking about formation as resident smart person. You want to explain <laughs> a little bit what formation is? I would be happy to, although I feel like uh, Bishop Battersby, as a former formator, might be able to uh, give a more complete picture. Yeah, so actually, you can yeah. you can jump in and correct me if I'm. Uh, well, you were the object I'm... of formation, <laughs> so you 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 know That's it right. from the inside. That's right. That's right. And actually, I had Bishop Battersby as my formator for he was mine part too. of a semester. He was mine too. Nice. Nice. That's this quote of and you, you you both have turned out rather well. <laughs> well, thank you very much. So I don't think it had anything to do with me, but but the scarring doesn't show. <laughs> was it was it St. Christopher's that you were at when I used to come in and uh, do formation mm. meetings? It was St. Christopher's on the west side of Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Well, as as one wise formator told me, uh, hmm, looking at Bishop Battersby <laughs> here, uh, the principal formator. Is, is not the priest assigned to you, but the Holy Spirit. Amen. And uh, I, I guess I guess a formator in seminary is someone who's assigned to really um, kind of help you along the journey of, of discernment, of, of growing in that relationship with the Lord, of growing in just uh, virtue as a young man, um, to really be kind of that guide and uh, a mentor, really, in that. Um, they're, they're different than a spiritual director. Spiritual director, you talk a lot more intensely about your prayer, and that's what we call the internal forum. So they're just uh, there to um, to direct you spiritually. Uh, the formator, uh, they get to evaluate you a little too. Uh, 
See how you're growing? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, they're part of that discernment process on the, the part of the church, right, to see uh, from the church's perspective if if uh, they think you have a call in that vocation. Does that sound about right, Bishop? No, that's exactly right. And 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 one of the things that we, we can do as formators is that we can be a, a sounding board mm-hmm. because one of the ways we bring objectivity to our own subjectivity is to share it with others and to yes. to do and that's what the church asks us to do because mm-hmm. we're we're both the church is discerning and the individual is discerning mm-hmm. and one of the greatest mm-hmm. joys for me as uh, I was 33 when I came into the seminary one of the greatest joys for me was discovering that there were other guys yes who God was speaking to like he was speaking to me that he mm-hmm. was and, and and it was it, it it was a gift yes to be among other brothers who were uh, who were trying to listen to the Lord yes trying to follow him and uh, and I, and I thought guys that went to the seminary would be kind of odd <laughs> and. I, I found I out that was I just. I definitely <laughs> that was that was praying just, all the time. Yeah, hands praying folded, all you know. the time. <laughs> boring, you know. Um, and I was. It was just my own prejudice. Mm. It, it just was. Uh, I was wrong. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, they God calls a variety of people, mm-hmm. and that same variety exists in the seminary, and it's a it's a wonderful variety. Yeah, it is. And what is great about it, too, is that you just don't have to do it alone. You don't have to discern exactly. alone. Yes. Whether you're in seminary or outside of seminary, you don't have to do this alone. Mm-hmm. Speak to someone about it, right? So, Bishop yeah. Battersby, you know, w- what a beautiful story, you know, and especially with those illuminations that you got. Mm. So now you get ordained, right? You're a priest. So what were some of your assignments? You were probably a parochial vicar or associate pastor for a couple years, and then were you pastor? We know of St. Christopher. Where were you pastor at? And then what did you do after that? Had a number of uh, uh, parochial assignments. Uh, I was, when I was newly ordained, I was the associate pastor at St. Thecla in Clinton Township. Hmm. And later on, St. Claude, which was an adjoining parish, clustered with St. Thecla. So I was at mm-hmm. St. Thecla and St. Claude. Uh, for two years, and then the next two years, I had uh, been in, been assigned to a cluster in Detroit that included St. Gerard Parish, Immaculate Heart of Mary, and Presentation, Our Lady of Victory. And I was uh, in that three-parish cluster for, for two years. Uh, I lived at Immaculate Heart of Mary on, on Pembroke in Detroit um, for my time there, and that was, a, that was really a blessed period of time both those both of those assignments um, af- after that I was assigned as pastor at St. Christopher's which I I was part of for five years and that was uh, it still remains part of the joy of yeah. my life you know mm-hmm. uh, I just both your I loved your secretary when I would call up to make an appointment <laughs> my, my secretary was uh, was a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth and she was a wonderful frank old sister yeah and uh, when people would call she would say things like when they would ask may I speak with Father Battersby and she'd say um, no He's not in. And they'd say, do you know where he is? She said, 
Of course, but I can't say. <laughs> she was she was a wonderful Frank sister. Yeah. I loved her. God rest her yeah. soul. Yeah. Yeah, I remember talking to her many times, waiting for a meeting to begin and stuff. So, <laughs> and and after after St. Christopher's, I actually got a call from the cardinal to come here to Sacred Heart Seminary as the uh, director of pastoral formation. Um, and we just had Father Pullis on, and that's the job that he took. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so. Um, did that for several years and then was named director of the graduate uh, theology, uh, theologate here at the seminary, and um, then was sent to Rome for, for further studies where I had the, the privilege of um, studying Blessed Columba Marmion. Yeah, and he's got a great book on the priesthood, by the way, too. I'm sure you've read it. It, uh, it really is, uh, it, it, it deepened my love for Christ and the priesthood, mm. uh, that and I, I would recommend that uh, um, recommend that book to any anybody who's uh, yeah. who loves Christ in the church. Yeah. Um, it's not an easy read. No, no, but no, it's it's a challenging not. read in, in in a good way. Yeah. Indeed, not. Um, I also I was uh, administrator at St. Leo's in Detroit and. Uh, Mm. And I was pastor at St. Mary's of Redford in Detroit. While you were here at the While seminary. While I was here yeah. at the so seminary. You had two yeah. Roles. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then you were a vice rector. What, is a, what does a vice rector do? A vice rector is in charge of formation for the, uh, for, for, for the seminarians. So, in, in addition, which, as we were speaking earlier, not only is the, is the man himself discerning the priesthood. But the church is discerning the priesthood, and the the vice rector is is um, the leader of a team of priests who uh, who discern alongside with uh, the individual seminarian. So the the vice rector ends up being the gatekeeper, if you will, um, mm-hmm. in in uh, in the seminary process, uh, where the rector would is in charge of the whole seminary, both the, um, the Institute for Ministry as well as uh, the formation program. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the vice rector is focused principally on the seminarians. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so now you're vice rector and you're living life happily, just you know, being a happy vice rector, doing wonderful things, and then all of a sudden you get a phone call. You want to explain that process and what happened and how did you react and what was it all about? Well, one morning I was coming. Uh, we had had mass in the seminary, and I was coming upstairs to my office after breakfast, and I got a phone call. And um, there was another person on the line who um introduced himself as the papal nuncio, hmm. uh, Archbishop uh, Christophe Pierre. And at first, I thought it was a candid camera s- sort of routine. <laughs> and um, he, he had called me the night before, but as a matter of fact, I was having a, um, a pop with Monsignor Trapp and uh, didn't pick up the, the, the phone call. Yeah. So it was his, actually his second call. And, uh, and he um, he started to laugh. He said, 
The Holy Father has uh, has appointed you as an auxiliary bishop of Detroit. He was laughing when he told you? Yeah, because he, <laughs> he, he was very much filled with joy. And, uh, and I thought to myself, who could have put him up to this? <laughs> I didn't think it was real. Um, and he wanted to know if I would accept the Holy Father's appointment. And... Um, and I said yes, but I was frankly in a state of shock. Yeah, uh, yeah. I really didn't know what to make of it, and uh, hung up from from speaking to the um, to the nuncio. And uh, a little while later, the archbishop Archbishop Ignorant called me, and he said. Um, did you answer your phone? <laughs> and I said I did. And I said, "Is this for real?" He said, "I assure you, this is for real." That's awesome. <laughs> so nice. yeah, it was uh, it was um, it was unexpected, but I'm very grateful that 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 God is in charge. Yeah, it's well mm. to, to bring this around full circle. I mean, like. You say yes, and you're like, okay, now you have to pick out a motto. You have to pick out a Bible passage. You have to make a coat of arms, get this all done before you get ordained a bishop. How does that work out? You know, there, there's a lot of things that, that, that you have to do. And frankly, you're unprepared for it, and you, mm. you, uh, you really don't have any context in which to uh, mm -hmm. um, um, Draw wisdom yeah. from. Not too and, many people to ask. Yeah, there's not too many. And the and probably one of the worst things is you can't say anything to anybody. Oh, right. And so I How have, long was that? Well, I got a phone call on November 15th, opening day for Father Guerra. Well, uh, no, that's Bo is opening day, October 1st. October 1st, yes, right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Firearm is, is the yeah, 15th. Definitely. Um, November 15th, and um, it wasn't announced publicly until the 23rd of November. So mm. I had uh, eight days in which to keep this um, papal secret <laughs> and uh, – I want you to know it was one of the hardest things I've ever done <laughs> in my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it was uh, it, it was a new experience and continues to be. And, yeah. and, and really the same thing that happened in the seminary is what is happening today. And it, mm. it, the one thing necessary is to press in to the truth that Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. In this in this moment, as in every moment, yeah. and yeah. so he continues to reign. He conti he continues to be Lord, and he Amen. continues to call us. And here's the beautiful thing: we don't have to be competent; we mm -hmm. have to be faithful, and the Lord will equip us with the graces we need for the task He calls us to. And so. The fact that I wasn't prepared, the fact that I certainly don't have the skills that a bishop needs to lead the church isn't troublesome to me because mm. Jesus is Lord yeah. and yeah. he will provide. 
I'm fine with weakness and because I when am, I'm weak, when I'm weak, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So before we end, I, I would like to spend a little bit of time on, on what an auxiliary bishop does because we, we kind of see the archbishop a little bit more with all this special masses that go on, especially, you know, with the Easter vigil and, and anything that's like being streamed or stuff like that. So what is the task of an auxiliary bishop? What does that look like? What is your day like? So the archbishop is... Um, is what is known as the ordinary of this diocese. In other words, he is the chief uh, bishop of this diocese, uh, the Archdiocese of Detroit. And, uh, and th that means he presides over mm -hmm. the church in Detroit. An auxiliary bishop is not an ordinary. An auxiliary bishop is a bishop, just as the archbishop is, but is not an ordinary. An auxiliary bishop is a bishop who assists mm -hmm. the ordinary, Archbishop Vigneron, in the pastoral care of the archdiocese. So mm -hmm. um, I think you could, you could with, without, um, um, without erring too far, I think you could compare an auxiliary bishop to a parochial vicar. Um, mm. A parochial mm -hmm. vicar is a priest, and he assists the pastor of the parish in the pastoral care of the parish. And yeah. so mm -hmm. an auxiliary bishop is, is very much like a parochial vicar in that, that we're, we're priests, we're bishops, but we assist um, a particular bishop in the pastoral care of a geographical area such as the Archdiocese of Detroit. So we do all the things, you know, um, the Archbishop sends us out to assist him with confirmations. Mm -hmm. So I'm the, I'm the uh, regional moderator of the South Region. So all the parishes in the South Region, um, I, you know, I, I help with confirmations at these parishes. I help with um, any school masses, any school... Mm -hmm. Uh, opportunities um, help with the the all the pastoral needs that you know if if a particular pastor has a has a, a question or a concern then I can help that particular pastor in that in that partic in that geographical area. Yeah. Do you always smell like chrism because you're always <laughs> anointing people <laughs> well, for thank, confirmation? Thank God chrism smells so good. It, yeah, right. You know, they used it, to have beard balm that smelled like chrism. <laughs> it, it, it's a very pleasant, uh, pleasant odor. So, you know, I mean, what does St. Paul say? We're, 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 we're the odor great of odor. Christ. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. We're mm -hmm. the odor of Christ. And so... Mm -hmm. um, um, to some a sweet smelling, <laughs> some an awful well, order. exactly, <laughs> Ex exactly. But it's uh, yeah. So uh, uh, occasionally smell like chrism. <laughs> I I wish my uh, I, I wish I wish that sweet sweetness would always uh, surround me. Yeah. Mm. So just a, a, a confirm on confirmation, you get to see a unique aspect of the church of, of young people you know, becoming confirmed, and, and this is the hope of the future. Like, when you do a confirmation, like, what are you thinking about? What are you praying about? Like, you're looking at these young men and women saying, this is the future of the church, you know? So, like, what's going on in your prayer at that time? You know, one of the things that I do is I, I do spend uh, quite a bit of time in prayer before the confirmation, mm -hmm. lifting up the young people that I will confirm 
uh, to the Lord, asking the Lord and begging the Lord for graces that these young people are going to need in this time um, to share in Christ's ministry, because that's what they're being asked to do. They're, you know, in their baptism, they're being conformed to Christ, and in their confirmation, they're being equipped with the graces necessary to share in Christ's mission, um, and that's that's an awesome thing. I mean, in in its proper proper sense. I mean, St. Peter tells us that God's plan is incredible for these young people. Yeah. What does St. Peter say in his second letter, first chapter? He says that we are being given a share of the divine nature. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's happening with these young people. And so I pray that they might be receptive and open for this, mm-hmm. confirmations are my favorite thing to do as a bishop. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just, they're very exciting to me. And one of the things that I try to do is I try to try to draw um, a parallel between what God is doing in this moment individually for this, pe- for this individual confirmandi and what God is doing cosmically. Mm-hmm. In other words... Mm-hmm. His plan for the whole cosmos to reestablish all creation in Christ is happening right here in this parish church, right mm. here in the heart of this young person. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful when you put it that yeah. way. Yeah? yeah, and we don't think about it sometimes that way. Right, right. The sacrament that is a cosmic event it that is. changes. Mm. Everything. It changes everything. It changes exactly. everything. That's really, really beautiful. Now, you've been in so many different roles, and especially as formator. So to any of the young men who are listening right now who think they might have a call to the priesthood, what, what is some advice you'd want to give them? What, what should they do? What should they not do? What should they avoid? Or what should they not pay attention to? Whatever it is, what, what kind of advice would you give them right now? There's one thing that every heart desires. And I don't care how you are called or what you're called to. Every heart desires to fall in love, to be loved, and to love. That's what we're made for. And so what I would say is allow yourself to be loved by Christ. There is nothing greater that can happen to any human being than to be loved by Christ, to allow themselves to be caught up in the mystery of Christ. So the first thing I would tell any young person is have a conversation with Jesus. Mm. Tell him that you would love to get to know him, that you would love to allow him to love you in the way he desires to, and then allow that to happen. Talk to Jesus every day. Don't be afraid to ask Jesus' friends for help in following him. And who who knows him before all else? Our blessed lady. Mm -hmm. She's known him from the moment Gabriel announced his presence in the womb. She's known him and contemplated his face in the crib and on the cross. She knows Jesus completely. Ask her, Mother Mary, help me to love Jesus as I ought. And the one thing I would say is, however God is calling to you, 
calling you. However, he is inviting you to consider in following him. Falling in love with Jesus is the greatest thing that can happen to any human being. And it's about freedom, too. Like, take it full circle again. It's that freedom mm -hmm. that you were given. And yeah. so many of our youth want freedom to do whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's once we're loved by Christ and accept that love, then true freedom is there. Freedom to be who you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Loved by God. Amen to that. That's awesome. Amen. Well, Bishop Battersby, it's been wonderful talking to you. Some really wise words and some wonderful stories that you had. So we would really love if you could lead us out in a prayer. It's been great to be with you, Father yes. Craig and Father David. Thank you. Let's take a moment and just ask our Mother Mary to wrap her mantle around us and on around all those who will hear this podcast, that she might help each of us and all of us to love Christ as we ought, to hear his voice, and to follow him. And so together we pray, Hail, Hail Mary, Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop Battersby. Thank you, Father David. All right. You have been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit, Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me every month, Father Craig Guerra, your host, and also Father David Pelican as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com.